You're listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta pilots. On today's episode, contract implementation items with Sean Kellett and Ian Turner of the Scheduling Committee, along with Frank Wedding from the Negotiating Committee. Here's your host, Ryan Argenta. Welcome back to another episode of Engage here again with Sean Kellett, Ian Turner of the Scheduling Committee, and Frank Wedding of the Negotiating Committee. We're talking September contract implementation items, and we're starting with things that begin with rotations reporting on August 31st. Sean, I want to go to you. The first big thing is the FDP limits. The maximum unaugmented FDP limit under 12D1 is now 13 hours, period, end of story. Go for it. Yeah, we made a lot of great improvements in Section 12. I think we're going to talk through most of them, but I think collectively we have gotten great feedback from the pilots. They're already starting to see it. And in September bid period, August 31st, but the September bid period is really where all of this comes to fruition, where everything is complete and in the bid packages, in the rotations. And you can really see from a scheduling perspective, you can see how all of these do a really good job collectively at managing really, really, really long duty days. So for specific to what you asked, Ryan, if you were to look in, and we're talking unaugmented ops only, so that's table B that's under FAR 117 unaugmented ops as well. There are some flight duty periods that you see that can be up to 14 hours. So this is our first of many steps at reducing that. That table allows you, you can fly up to 14 hours. This further reduces that said, even though the FARs say you can go to 14, the contract says, nope, now you can't schedule me or reroute me greater than 13. And that's a great plug because we're doing a safety series with Central Air Safety. They're short segments, but one of those things are LATS, latest allowable takeoff time, FDP limits. And so this is a good hybrid mix, but if you're into that table B and it says, yeah, your FAR legal limit is 14 hours and extendable, you've got to remember, oh, I have a contract and it, that is 13 hours max. And I'll draw attention again to the scheduling alerts. I'm going to link them to the description of this podcast so you can see them there. The scheduling reference handbook, the SRH, is another great vetted resource that you can cite to scheduling, to crew tracking. You say, hey, I'm in the SRH and it says you can't do this. And in particular with 12D1, the 13 hours, it specifically says it's not subject to the fly now, grieve later rule. So is that something you can walk away from and just say no? Absolutely. Yep. And that has been vetted through the managing director of crew scheduling. If you hit that 13 hour limit or the table limits, you can walk away and request a hotel without having to extend to the FAR limits. Okay. So that's a hard stop there. Anything else? And that on is an important distinction, right? What Frank said is exactly right. And just to add a little bit of fidelity, that's not only as built, so bid package rotations or what we call willing rotations that are built after the bid package is published and reroutes. It applies to all of those. So anything that's as scheduled, so bid package rotation, a post bid package will need rotation, which are zero rotations or reroutes must comply. And the pilot's option is to walk away. Now they can still go at their option, each individual crew member can determine if they want to go to their FAR limit and then further into an extension. That is still an option for each individual pilot after they assess their fitness for duty. Their fitness for duty. They can still do that legally, but the contractual protection is that you absolutely can at that limit walk away and request to, to be placed into rest. 
in your opinion, is there a, an advantage to the pilot to go up to that FAR limit or to extend? Sean's opinion only, I don't ever advocate anybody extending just because the days are already excruciatingly long. You take, I know it's 13 hours now, but a 15 hour day is, and it can be 16, right? Cause we're taking 14 hours and we're limiting it to 13, but the FAR limits say you can actually extend to 16. So that is a hellaciously long day and someone might be able to do it, but given our past rotations, if this is anything other than day one you're probably already moderately fatigued on that rotation anyway. So there's not a time in which I advocate simply because of safety that a pilot accepts an extension. I never advocate anybody doing that. Even if you've got the Superman syndrome or whatever they call it, where they're like, I don't want to leave 250 passengers stranded here. So I'm going to, which is a real thing, right? That's a real psychological thing. And it's a bummer. No one wants to do that, but you have a legal obligation, not a legal right, but a legal obligation to ensure that you're rested and Operating safely. Yeah, I'm ready for flight. And that's a great plug for, again, past podcasts on fatigue. Pilots are the circuit breakers. I'll look back to those podcasts. We're crosstalk here, but this is important stuff because we all want to keep the operation moving. We want to be the hero. It is hard to walk away from 250 passengers and say sorry, but your license is on the line, safety's on the line. So, speaking of extended duty, effective with rotations reporting on or after August 31st. For unaugmented duty periods that extend beyond 10 hours, pilots will receive one minute of pay, no credit for every one minute of duty time beyond 10 hours. I'll say it again, duty periods that extend beyond 10 hours, published or otherwise, you're going to get paid one minute for every minute above that. How does that work? Yeah, that's right. And I will start with an important definition. All of these are in section 2A of the contract, if anybody ever wants to look them up, but in short, the definition of a duty period begins at your report for, at the airport and ends at your block in plus 30 minutes. So it ends when you are released. A duty period doesn't end when you block in. So that's an important distinction that we'll make here in a second. So your duty period encompasses report to release, which can be different than your flight duty period and is often different than your flight duty period. So let's say your duty period is scheduled for 10 and a half hours. So from report to block in, and I know I just said release, but report to block in is 10 and a half hours. You're going to see one hour of EDP pay on your time card or on your rotation because you went 30 minutes over the 10 hours plus 30 minutes for the release since it's paid on a minute by minute basis. So you're going to see one hour of pay, even though you're only going to see 1030 on that, on your rotation, you're going to see one hour of EDP pay. Okay. And that applies to regular line holders and reserve pilots. That's above the guarantee. That's correct. That's a good one to watch out for. There are five day trips in the September big package that are paying over 30 hours because of this new EDP provision. And obviously we'd like the trips to be less fatiguing, but this is a punishment measure to the company for not making better quality trips. And if we're going to be at work, we're going to get paid for being at work. We've been looking at the negotiating committee. We've been looking at the trips, how they've been playing out with the added meals and everything else. And with all of these additional pay treatments, and I'm not talking about reroute pay, I'm talking about just the additional pay treatments. We're seeing an average of about 15 to 25% greater value of general rotations throughout the bid package. That's ERs, 220s, 73s. These things that we put in place in the new contract are really to a pilot's benefit. If the company does not make the rotations more user-friendly, then the pilots are the ones to reap the rewards. They're really meant to be a disincentive for the company to make crummy rotations, however you define that. 
but we know that they're still going to do it. So if they're going to do it, they got to really want to do it because it's a whole lot of money. And I guarantee you collectively tens of thousands of rotations every month, it is a huge bill that the company is paying. So it's a business decision that they have to make. And it's a disincentive we put into the contract, we built in the contract. So it gets very expensive. Like Ian said, some five days that are in excess of 30 hours of pay for yep. five days. Yeah. And, and then mother's incredible high value trip, 26, 27 hours for four day. And there's some caveats that are listed in the scheduling alert. Again, it's linked. For example, some of these things, especially the stacking or compounding pay treatments for EDP, for example, if you're on a green slip, the rotation is greater than 10 hours. That single pay above your green slip, that's not doubled, right? That you are correct. It is single pay. Any additional pay, and I know we're not talking reroute pay right now, but reroute pay, any type of additional extended duty period, sit pay, things like that. It doesn't matter if you're on a reserve assignment, if you're on a white slip, if you're on a green slip, inverse assignment, it all pays the same. Whatever color slip you're on, it's all single pay, no credit for reserve. That's above the guarantee. Yep. Very good. good question. And we get that often. We get a lot of people that they'll write us and say, hey, I was on a green slip. I should be getting double pay for this. And that's just, that would be great maybe for the next contract. But right now that's not, the, it's a five. Moving on. This seems like an easy one, but consecutive layovers. Pilots won't be scheduled for domestic rotations containing consecutive layovers of less than 12 hours. That seems like a, a clean kill. It's a bid package rotations only, obviously not for international, which doesn't really matter anyway. But if you see two consecutive layovers that are less than 12 hours, it's an illegal rotation. Correct. The company should remove that rotation from you, pay protect you for the value of the rotation, rebuild it rotation properly, and then put it out into open time. And let's just clarify too, that is only for domestic rotations. Right. If you're awarded it, then you should call the company and be removed from that bid package rotation and pay protected for the value of that rotation. Okay. Now, if you are subsequently, if you're awarded it correctly, let's say it was built correctly, you're awarded it through PBS or some other way. It's a bid package rotation that, that has this you can subsequently be rerouted out of those consecutive 12 hour waivers. Correct. And, and that is legal. Now, is it smart? Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's smart or safe, but they are allowed to do that. Again, okay. I would always encourage pilots to assess their fitness for duty. Very good. Last bit here, rotations reporting on or after August 31st. These are WACL, window of circadian low scheduling restrictions. The verbiage says a pilot may not be scheduled or rerouted into a flight segment operating or deadheading that departs after a flight segment that intrudes into the pilot's walkle, which is defined as 0200 to 0559 pilot acclimated time. I just learned that your acclimated time is published on the rotation and tells you what base you're acclimated to. So if you're bouncing around the world, like a lot of us are, and you're arguing, no, I'm acclimated to Paris. No, you're not. You're acclimated to Seattle. That's in your iCrew rotation. But anyway, this is complex. I just want to mention this exists and I'll go to Frank for this. The window of circadian low restrictions. So the window of circadian low restrictions is the pilot acclimated time 0200 to 0559. If you're a Los Angeles based pilot, and you're out on the East Coast flying, your WACL, your window of circadian low, is still 0200 to 0559 LA time because that's your acclimated time zone. So you have to watch out for that. So this provision, 12P5, what the intent of this was is to prevent the company from giving you a deadhead or operating segment 
prior to operating a flight that intrudes into the walkle. If that makes sense. So if you look at, this is a pretty complex one, but if you look at just 12P5 without any of the exceptions, it says a pilot will not be scheduled for a deadhead and or flight segment prior to operating a red eye segment within the same flight duty period. So we now have red eye segment defined in the contract as well. That's, that's an eastbound flight segment that flies between 0200 and 0359 as the aircraft flies. So anything that flies through a red eye, you cannot be operating or deadheading prior. I'll give you the example what this is meant to prevent. So you've got an LA pilot who flies out to Atlanta on his first leg. The next day he flies out to New York. Then on day three, he flies out to Salt Lake on a deadhead to fly a red eye later back to Atlanta. Because that guy was just on the East Coast, his body clock is all over the place, right? So it prevents him from doing that. If that flight would fit in his flight duty period, it prevents him from doing that deadhead segment and then operating a flight through a red eye. There is an exception to that. And it says the exception does not apply to a red eye flight that does not intrude into the walkle if the pilot has not had a break in duty outside their base acclimated time or an FTP that contains a charter. So the charter one's pretty cut and dry, right? If it contains a charter, the exception does not apply. They can have you do it. The A exception, that's a little bit tougher. The A exception, Mike, I'll give you an example. An LA pilot stays out on West Coast time and he goes LA to Seattle on a deadhead. He has not left his time zone, so he is still in his time zone and he has not had a break in duty at an, in another time zone. He then can operate a red eye flight. And that is about the only time. Okay, we're in the weeds, but again, if you're scheduled to fly a red eye or anything that intrudes your walkle, 2 a.m. to 0559 your acclimated time, you, the hair should stand up on your neck and you should have a, a question or at least look at it. I laugh because for, if you have an NFL charter, all that's out the window because there's no fatigue when you fly the NFL. Right. I knew that's what you're smiling about. Because the better food probably, yeah. right? Or baseball. Or baseball. We I know the listeners can't see it, but we're chuckling with each other only because we talked about it before we started recording on how complex this one provision is. And you can see even... Frank, who has practically written this provision, it's so incredibly complex. And unless you get into the weeds, and even it's hard for us to understand it, another plug for our schedule alerts, we have a schedule alert that's coming out that will include this with examples. With examples. So hopefully it will be intuitive. Yeah. And it's great length because we never had red eye defined in the contract either. And it's new. So everybody, they understand what a red eye is, but the concept that's going to be difficult for people to grasp initially is like Frank said, it's as the aircraft flies, meaning normally like a domestic pilot, you're always acclimated to your base. doesn't matter where you are. You're always acclimated to your base. International, it's a little bit different and different provisions, whether you're acclimated to your local time or back to your base. This is now, it's essentially a moving clock across the ground, wherever your aircraft is to determine whether you're actually flying a red-eye flight or not. It's not wrapped around where you're actually acclimated, even for domestic pilots. So it's a new concept. It's a huge leap that our negotiators were able to get that definition in the contract. Understood. Okay. So if you're scheduled to fly a red eye, you should start thinking about this, getting, get into the scheduling layer. This is where we go, oh, I heard a podcast on this and now start digging it up. Yeah. Cause I think the hardest part in that, I'll, I know the horse is dead, but the hardest part is you will actually have two clocks running, two different clocks running at the same time. You'll have your own acclimated walkable, 
and then you'll have a different set of time of local time where the aircraft is literally flying across the ground and those two run con consecutively or concur concurrently and they may not overlap but it is complex but you're right right it, it, you probably can ignore it unless you're on a red eye and then i would start to to read the start at the scheduler because we try to boil it down to be nearly Sean proof. If I can understand it, almost anybody can. So that's where we try to start. Very good. What else, anything else for uh, September implementation items? What are you guys seeing from the implementation stuff? Uh, I would say the one thing I'd like to highlight is section 12 D one, which is how we calculate the contractual duty day that you're allowed previous to contract 19. Let's say that you had three flight segments and you, the first two were operating. The third one was a deadhead. But your contractual protection was only based off of your two operational legs. It didn't count that third that was a deadhead. We've now negotiated language that every single flight segment in your day counts, and that counts towards the table B limits. In this example, I'm talking about domestic only. So if in the same example, under the old contract, if you had two operating flight segments and one deadhead, you would enter the table at your acclimated report time and then go down from the two flight segment. Now under the contract 19, you enter that table at three, which can be significant. It can reduce your allowable duty day, sometimes by 30 minutes, sometimes by more than an hour. So now every single flight segment for each of your duty periods add for contractual protections. FAR 117, it doesn't change because under most cases, FAR 117 is silent and doesn't necessarily care about deadhead flight segments, but your contractual protections now protect you for every single flight segment in your duty. Okay. Good to know. All things that we should be looking for, again, the scheduling alert, 2314, I've linked that to, to the description of the podcast. If you have questions, again, slow things down, think things through. You have FAR limitations, but you also have PWA contractual limitations and protections. You've got 1-800-USA-ALPA. That's the Delta MEC main number. You've got the ACE for Unions app. You can submit an inquiry or a report directly to the scheduling committee. Just give it a second. They'll get back to you. They are pretty backlogged. Again, hard work leads to more work and we appreciate what you've all been doing, but I want to leave you with that. Last reattacks, anything from the negotiators? No, no, nothing for now. We'll, we'll engage next month in another podcast. Very good. Sean Kellett, chairman of the scheduling committee, Ian Turner, vice chairman of the scheduling committee. And Frank Wedding from the Negotiating Committee. Gentlemen, thanks so much. Appreciate your help. And thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks for having me. This has been Engage, the podcast from Delta Pilots. Thanks for listening. My name is Ryan Argenta. Stay safe and keep the rubber on the road. You're listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta Pilots. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform. And receive notifications when a new episode is available.